are Locked On Big Ten, your daily podcast on the Big Ten Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Huge run, and then they added to it. Um, mm-hmm. So that one, we can kind of go broad. Um, I think we could spend more time on Swanson just because he's a quarterback. Um, he's funky, good athlete kind of kid um, out of Oklahoma. So we can definitely spend time there. Uh, and then I'm familiar with both of the Nebraska gets, including the kid today. And then the other kid from oh. Missouri. Who did Nebraska get today? Oh, was, oh was that Brock Knutson? They got the big in-state. Yeah, in-state O-lineman. And then I thought I was missing one with Nebraska. Too. Oh, Jaden, Jared, Jalden, Doss. Jalden? Yeah, that's the Is that an L? Kid. Yeah, that's a. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right there. And then so do you know the Illinois guys, too? Pass. Pat Farrell, Rico Jackson, just all linemen. Jamari and Harkless? Not honestly, no. <laughs> okay, that's fine. We don't have we to talk about them then. Say they got a few, including Swanson. They're big guys. That's what we can say there. We can two, just, one's yeah. 295, another one's 290. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. All right. Okay. Well, we'll get, we'll start with the quarterback then because that's today and it's quarterback. Sounds good. Cool. You're listening into Locked On Big Ten, everything you need to know about the conference every day of the week. Alongside John Garcia Jr. from Sports Illustrated, he's here to talk recruiting with us as always on the show. Is He knows just about everybody out there who's making moves and making commitments as we get into, as we talked about last week, John, a really, really big time to make some early commitments here if you're a school trying to build a class, build a program. And we saw some of that happen here over the weekend. But let's start with the flashy news of the day as Illinois gets a quarterback here. As we're talking just a little bit before we're talking here on Monday, Cal Swanson out of Oklahoma. And you were someone who knew a lot more about this guy before. For obviously, I did when we were talking beforehand, but you had stuff to say about him before I even had time to get a word in. So, I mean, who is this guy? This is such an interesting get for Illinois. This is like you said, kid, kid from Oklahoma, Ardmore, Oklahoma. Have you heard of it? No, I, I haven't either. But this is a kid that has all these tools. All of a sudden, you pop on the tape, 6'2", 190 pounds, incredible athlete, very fast, legit track speed here but incredibly productive with his arm, really strong, quick delivery, just really didn't ever have that boom during the recruiting process, which is kind of interesting. Like his last few offers were FCS and below. Uh, so for him to jump on with, with Illinois was certainly big news uh, on Monday. Uh, and then you, again, you start to look a little bit more into it and you're like, okay, this is a bit of a risk here by, by Brett Bielema and, and that coaching staff. But you also have to go get your guys, uh, and they had they had liked him for quite some time. Set up the official visit for this past weekend, his first official visit of the process, and they obviously saw enough to, to give him that green light to jump on board uh, with a verbal commitment. And I think that is so important in terms of roster building. You have to trust your own evaluations, and you also have to be strategic about when you want to bring prospects on your campus. If if there are some that want to take a bunch of official visits. You kind of want to be first or, or last in, in that gauntlet in June in particular because there's not a whole lot going on. But 
we're seeing coming off of this weekend pretty much nationally, not just in the Big Ten. This was a huge official visit weekend tangibly. A lot of schools added commitments. I think 14 Power 5 schools added commitments, and some schools added two or more, uh, including you know Northwestern Illinois added some, some big uh, linemen up front. In addition to Swanson, uh, Nebraska added multiple prospects. This is something that is becoming a bit of a trend in terms of teams getting hot all at one moment. But uh, if you're Illinois, you got to get your quarterback. That's really kind of the foundation of, of any recruiting class going well outside the region in this case for an interesting athlete more so than a pure polished pocket passer just just to alliterate a little bit uh i think was really interesting but again you're trusting your eval here belam has been there done that uh and and i think you know he thinks this is his guy and, and it will be fascinating there's there's a little bit of boomer bust here but in this modern game athletically when when that's a plus you do give prospects like that the benefit of the doubt so Cal Swanson's uh, going to get a couple more Twitter followers from the Midwest today, and uh, he should enjoy it uh, because he could be one of these diamonds in the rough that Illinois found before uh, the rest of, of the Power Five. What is the boom side of that for a guy like him? I, I was a little surprised that you, you knew or at least seemed interested in him to the extent that you were just because he's not someone, as you said, who had offers or is really even ranked highly as far as recruiting rankings go, if he's ranked at all on the site that you prefer, maybe Sports <laughs> Illustrated. Yeah, look, this is this is a guy that, that yeah, has not had that emergence, right? The, almost for every quarterback you can point to, like a certain time where, okay, like this is where he started to really pick up a ton of scholarship offers and his name became regional or even national in some cases. And look, this, this class of 2023 at quarterback is, is massive. I mean, it is like, it is the year of the quarterback in some respects. Uh, so for you to kind of be under the radar, despite all of that, I, I do think says a lot, but look, this kid's from Oklahoma and he's not a Tulsa kid where, or even a Norman kid where there is a little bit more, you know, coverage or even Oklahoma city. He's from a little bit, you know, in the sticks, uh, but in that region of the country, in the Midlands, you can get kind of a galvanizing presence. And Cal has a lot of that in his game. You ask about the boom side of it. It's the athleticism. It's the Twitch. I mean, this is a kid that runs the sprints for his track team. He's clocking around 50 seconds in the 400 meter dash. For those who don't know, I mean, that's kind of the benchmark, right? You talk about the 100-meter dash, it's like, hey, can you get under 11 seconds? Then you're pretty darn fast. In the 400, it's it's that 50 mark. If you're in that ballpark or just under right where Cal Swanson is, you can really move. Uh, and he's 6'2", 190 pounds, so he, he's got a bigger frame. He's got a longer stride, but he can really uh, accelerate. And I think that shows up on tape as well. So when you talk about the boom – it's that overall athleticism and, and a good arm. I don't want to sell the arm short, but really it's the unique athleticism at the position that, you know, the sport has demanded uh, across the board. You have to be more athletic at quarterback uh, to, to play, you know, into January and in, in the New Year's six and the games that matter, you have to be athletic at the quarterback position. So at a minimum, Illinois check that box in, in, in permanent marker with Cal Swanson jumping on board. Bet online covers all of your sports gambling needs. If you want all the information before you actually put your money anywhere, Bet Online has you covered. If you want to actually make those bets and make a wider variety of options of bets than anywhere else, Bet Online has you covered. If you want to go to a place where the website just looks nice, as not all sports betting websites do, 
BetOnline has you covered. Head on over to BetOnline right now for a one-stop shop for everything that you need going on with your sports gambling needs. It's really that simple. BetOnline and sign up for free right now. And the uh, line I do pretty well otherwise over the weekend to get a couple of linemen uh, named Jamarian Harkless, 6'4", 290. Uh, Rico Jackson, 6'6", 295 on the offensive side. Those guys out of Kentucky and Florida, Pat, Pat Farrell and Edge Rusher at 6'5", out of Chicago. So it was a nice little weekend for Illinois in getting those kind of bodies. And when the recruiting cycle is starting and you're getting into this first part of it, I mean, that's what it is every single year. It starts in the trenches blah 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 it's coach speak but it's true so yeah yeah look look illinois only has like uh, nine commits or eight commits half of them are offensive linemen we, we know the bread yeah. and butter yeah, yeah, yeah. for brett Milova, and it's still it is still up front so no surprise to see them having early success with the big guys mm-hmm. let's move on to nebraska a team that got a couple of commits over the weekend as well one just here today again as we're talking bryce knutson six foot seven offensive tackle 270 pounds again just a really really big guy and then the skill position on the outside Jaden Doss six foot tall wide receiver not going to be those uh uh, overpowering maybe guy uh, um the middle but again what what kind of guy are we looking at here with the Cornhuskers yeah I I think Doss will start there with the skill position guy I mean Nebraska's been able to quietly you know have some nice skill position talent develop up in Lincoln but what I like about Jaden Doss is physically He's kind of there already. Like you mentioned, six foot. He's right around 200 pounds. He's built like a power slot receiver. Think of an Anquan Bolden type, a Debo Samuel, where it's like he's a slot receiver, but really is he more of a running back? I mean, he's got this physical ability to his game, and obviously those are lofty comparisons. But just in terms of the position and the build, Jaden Doss does remind you of those power slot receivers of of currently with Debo and, and yesteryear with, with Anquan Bolden. Interesting get out of Missouri, one of those areas that Nebraska has to recruit. The greater Missouri-St. Louis area in the Midwest is among the most talented per capita. You have to have success there in Big Ten country, so that's good for Nebraska. Um, and then you think of his recruitment in particular with Doss. Oregon had just offered like the other day uh, and, and Nebraska was the, the first official he took a couple weeks ago. So you wondered, OK, well, he's got other officials to take. Nebraska did really well, um, but that visit is now behind you from, from late May. So is Oregon going to get involved? Who's going to start getting some of these other visits? And then lo and behold, over the weekend, Doss pops uh, to Nebraska without having taken another official visit. So I think that was uh, a pretty strong clarity for Scott Frost in terms of reeling in that commitment and, and maybe a bit of a surprise with those other factors included. And I think for, for Newtson, the big offensive lineman, a, a lot less of a surprise. He's an in-state kid, top five or so type prospect within state lines, very familiar with Nebraska, was returning for an official visit, uh, kind of a meat and potatoes, Midwestern kind of guy. Uh, so less of a surprise. But again, other schools were getting involved here. And I think he might have even had another official visitor to scheduled um, to to take later in the month of June. I think Iowa State was was that other school. So again, it's less surprising when you get an in-state commitment, but when other trips were on the docket, uh, it it is a little bit surprising uh, to reel them in from a timing perspective. Uh, So obviously coming Mm -hmm. off that trip, he slept on it one more night, woke up Monday and was like, look, I'm a Nebraska guy. I'm going to stay home. And and he's an interesting guy as well. Six, seven, as you mentioned, a little lighter, 270, but 
again, we, we've, we talk about the modern game and what you do in roster development. You want to build with prospects who you can add weight onto as opposed to those that you're taking weight off of in order to see the field. Uh, so he'll probably redshirt. He'll have time to develop at a school like Nebraska. And, and by the time we see him, he'll be 6'7", 295, uh, ready to go. But but he's a light on his feet prospect, very comfortable run blocker, as we said, meat and potatoes, phone booth kind of guy. So as he develops physically, He'll have time to polish up from a technical perspective as well. But two nice gets for Nebraska, both on offense, probably not surprising, but important nonetheless because other schools were ramping up interest and or setting up official visits. So to get these kids committed and, and effectively cancel some of those is, is kind of like a double win uh, for Scott Frost and company. So nice class that they're building in Lincoln. Uh, like I said, eight or nine pledges to this point. Uh, but you got to continue the momentum into the season as well. Uh, so that'll be the key uh, for every Nebraska recruit to keep an eye on. But in terms of the offseason, you got to accumulate talent, and Scott Frost is doing that. Obviously, every class is different, but is there a number that there's going to be teams looking at for, like, say, by at least at this size? We have this number of commits or – like if not, we need to speed things up. We need to go a little bit harder or something like that. Or if it's more than that, maybe we need to be a little bit more selective. Do teams take about take it that way chronologically? I think to a degree, uh, it's probably a little bit more of an old school notion only because roster management is such a mess because of the portal, uh, the extra year of eligibility from 2020. There's still a lot of factors that are slowing down the volume of, of high school recruits. But I think June is starting to push back against that. We've, we've seen dozens of commitments in the first few days of June. The first official visit weekend yielded a crazy number of, of commits that we're trying to track. It, it's been you know quite, uh, quite the workload for us. Uh, so we are starting to see that urgency coming from both sides. The, the programs want to start filling in. Like you said, they want to get – I think 10 is kind of that number. You want to be at 10 – when the season starts, that's kind of the baseline. You know, if you're under that, you're you're worried a little bit. If you're too high over that, you're probably going to drop some kids or have some fluidity on the commitment list. So we're seeing the programs beginning to up the ante, but also the players, the prospects, they're realizing, hey, this is my window, right? I'm taking a bunch of officials in June. I want to commit before my senior season. And then from a business perspective, hey, I want to claim one of these spots because if I know like at Illinois, as we talked about, if I'm an old lineman and I see, wait, one, two, oh, they've got three or four old linemen and they're still recruiting me. I need to think about committing because if I want to go there, there's only a matter of time to where those spots will be filled. So you need to kind of be honest from a prospect perspective and, and you feel the urgency on your end as well, unless you're, you know, Arch Manning or something like that. It's interesting, of course, to go through all those kind of thought processes and, uh, but of course, every every class is also a little bit different, just enough for that it makes these conversations seems a little bit pointless sometimes too, doesn't it? But anyway, <laughs> before we let you go, John Garcia again with us here out of Sports Illustrated. Uh, one more guy to talk to you about. Northwestern picked up a recruit at tight end, Camp McGee, who's a big guy. But I, I want to make sure I got this right, and I scroll down to make sure. Yeah, his weight is more like a basketball player weight than a football player weight. He's 6'6", 210 pounds, John. Yeah, yeah he looks like he's, he's a wing uh, coming off of a screen for, for a jumper or maybe an isolation. Yeah, this is, uh, again, it's been the theme of, of our show today, Nate, and I appreciate you setting it up that way. 
look, <laughs> the game is changing. You know, the, the game of football is changing. A lot of these tight ends are basically jumbo receivers. I mean, some of these elite tight ends nationally never line up attached to the, the offensive line. They never line up in the backfield. They are exclusively split out. And I'm not 100% sure if that's the case here, but when you think of that body composition, it's a guy who's much more comfortable catching the ball first. You know, we used to talk about, okay, you want balance at tight end, right? A blocker good enough to be an extension of the O-line and a receiver good enough to be an extension of, of the receiver room. Well, it's certainly shifted. It's like, hey, how are you with the ball in the air first? And then we'll talk about blocking. We could always teach you how to block down the line. And, and look, Northwestern, I think, is still a little bit more conventional compared to some other programs in terms of what they want to do offensively but it doesn't mean they won't dabble in the hybrid or modern or new age uh wave of, of certain positions so going to tight end there you know makes a lot of sense that's one of the positions that it seems like with time is, is showing more value especially if you can become a, a nice pass catcher with a frame like that and you're just a natural mismatch you're going to be taller than literally every single player who's going to cover you no matter the circumstance those things are our separators when you do start to get outside of maybe the box that, that people put you in, but Northwestern just kind of keeps it rolling, man. They, they have been among the hotter teams in the country from before the month of June. I think they had like the last time I was on with you, they had like eight commits in seven days. So they're continuing to build uh, some volume there. And they've got one of the biggest classes uh, in the country uh, to date because of this run that they've been on. So, you know, credit to Pat Fitzgerald, that coaching staff, Brian Patton in, in the recruiting department. Uh, you know, that group is is bigger than you think. It's a little more SEC than, than maybe uh, conventional Big Ten folks would realize. So, they're working their tails off. They're going outside the footprint uh, as well, uh, which is always important. So, yeah, Northwestern, uh, that class is something to keep an eye on for sure. And then again, Camp McGee, he's a three-star recruit that gets added into it. Everybody outside of that, Cal Swanson at the beginning, three-star recruits that we've talked about, just adding on to the classes that we have in the Big Ten as recruiting, of course, still just getting started. And commits, of course, are going to keep on pouring in which means john garcia jr over at sports illustrated is going to have a whole lot to do we'll of course get him back in here on locked on big 10 to take some time from him and talk on the big 10 side of it again sometime soon thanks again john for joining us we'll talk to you again again some point soon appreciate you having me boss Built Bar is where you go for all of your protein needs, whether it be going for the classic Built Bar, 100% real chocolate wrapped around a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, or the new Built Puffs, a marshmallow-filled, chocolate-encased protein bar that, again, is somehow still a protein bar with 15 grams of proteins, less than 5 net grams of carbs and sugars, and the most important, 150 calories only. It is the perfect product. I don't know how they do it over at Built.com, but they've somehow jammed all of the nutrition and flavor into one. And you can try it right now with some money off with Locked15 at checkout. The code is Locked15, as in Locked On. Go check out the Puffs, the Bars, their new Caramel Brownie flavor, or any of the other numerous new flavors they're always coming out with over at Built.com and use code Locked15 to try out Built Bar.
Thanks as always to John Garcia Jr. of Sports Illustrated for joining our show today, talking a little bit, of course, on the recruiting side, as he always does with us. Before we let you go, an update, of course, on the weekend on the Diamond in the Big Ten. Now, it's been a little bit, so you probably already know, the Big Ten basketball, of course, but baseball and softball seasons are now both done. It was Northwestern losing over the weekend in their College World Series, Women's College World Series appearance to Two of the toughest teams in the country got beat down pretty bad by the top seed Oklahoma. Can't blame them there. And then has a really, really tough draw. Has to face off against number five seed at UCLA and loses there too. So 0 for 2 for Northwestern at the Women's College World Series. But Wildcats got there. That That's really all the impressing performances that you need. Anywho, moving on to baseball. It was a rough end to the weekend start of the week for the regionals for both Michigan and and Maryland. A tough way to go out. Both teams losing in the last games of their regionals. Michigan falls to Louisville, and then Maryland loses to UConn in the regional it hosted. So the Big Ten out on the both baseball and softball sides. Keep wanting to say basketball for some reason, but I mean, it is a Big Ten show, right? That's, of course, tough. But I want to talk about one in particular, that Maryland loss to UConn on Monday. Because, of course, if you followed it, you know what happened in the eighth inning. A controversial call. A runner ends up colliding with the UConn first baseman. The score at the time, 10-8. to With a runner on third, it would have been 10-9 to with that runner on first as he beat the throw over there. But it was a collision right at first base between the UConn first baseman and the Maryland runner and ends up being called obstruction, batter being called out, runner goes back to third, taking that ninth run off the board, keeping it 10-8, to and then Maryland gets it out and is done with the inning. It's another out, which was the second of the inning, so instead of the situation being what would have been 10-9 to UConn, with Maryland having a runner on first and one out in the eighth with a chance to make a comeback there, ends up being 10-8, to a runner on third still, with two outs, and Maryland, of course, doesn't get anything out of that inning or the rest of the way. It was a really rough call and the wrong call, no doubt. I'm not saying it was the right call. That easily should have been Maryland on first base. I I mean, let me correct myself. I'm not super familiar with obstruction rules. I I know it's up to umpire's judgment to determine what would have happened in that case. So I I don't know exactly if it's like it doesn't matter if he would have been safe at first. It's the fact that he ran into the guy. I don't know what the actual wording of the rule is, but the point is it's a tough call for Maryland to take because that guy easily would have been safe at first base. Runner easily would have scored from third base and Maryland would have easily been down a run with two outs left in that eighth inning and a runner on base, five outs left to go to get that one run back. That being said, the idea that Maryland lost that game because of that, I think is just absurd. Terrapins were down two runs. They go down one run. I mean, odds aren't in your favor. I don't think at least. I don't know the percentages. I know if you get a runner on base, odds are to start an inning, that runner scores. I think it does go under 50% to score a run with a runner on first and one out, of course. It should logically. So odds are you're not even scoring that tying run, even if that happens. Then still... You've got three more outs to try and make the comeback. Given the way that that game had been going and people were scoring, that's not unreasonable to think. But also UConn scored another run. They put up an 11 spot. I mean, it's a terrible call. And if you want to argue about all the momentum that was gained or lost 
in the midst of it, that's perfectly fine. But you cannot make that connection that people are making, I don't think, and say that Maryland would have won that game if not for that call. They would have had a better chance. But I still think odds are they lose in that one. And to be quite honest, I think the Maryland fans right now are, are taking a little bit of anger out on a, an officiating crew that did get a call really wrong. Or at least it is a very bad call if it's the right one according to the rules. But it did not make Maryland lose that game. Terrapins lost that game all by themselves and it ended up in a close spot at the end being a tough call that, again, really just puts into place a bunch of hypotheticals. That's what I'm really most frustrated about is that you can say, okay, this would have happened, that would have happened, that, but fact of the matter is you're still down on that scoreboard if that happens. If that was to tie the game, that's another thing. That's a completely different thing entirely. But this was to go from down two one runs to down one run, and again, the odds aren't even in your favor that you're scoring that runner home from first. I don't think there's any way you could say that Maryland wins that game because or loses that game because of that call or wins that game if it doesn't happen. Just my thoughts. And again, a tough way to end your season. But I don't think that's the excuse you can make if you're a Maryland fan is that the umpires took it away from you. The umpires took away a really, really crucial, crucial play. But I do not think it is the thing that made or make or break, made or break, broke. Uh, it wasn't a make or break play. 